Martin Luther said that the book of James was a book of straw because he was unable to reconcile the book of James with the book of Romans and what he thought that Paul taught about justification by faith. There's not any problem between the book of James and what Paul had to say. My judgment that the book of James is written against the background of the problem that the Jews had and is common to mankind in developing the idea that outward action without inward faith is all right and that we can go through certain actions and these will be acceptable to the Lord. Faith is something that is inward and that's what he's talking about. So beginning in verse 14 of James 2, James said, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith, and have not works, can faith save him? Or the American Standard Version, I believe, says, can that faith save him? So the real question is, can faith save him? If the faith that I have won't save me, that's you. The idea of struggling along through life with something that I call faith that's not going to finally save me would be the tragedy of tragedies. And yet that's a grave danger that every one of us face when you study the book of James. Just think about not realizing the vital nature of faith and not understanding it. And then as a result of that misconception, when I come to stand before God, to find out that that faith is without profit. It hasn't saved Because the faith that doesn't save is useless and without profit. And if I've gone to all the trouble of burdening myself with something that's called faith, then it ends up, doesn't do me any good. Instead of the cost of losing all that's worthwhile, I've had the burden and the trouble of living with it and carrying it through life, in addition to it not popping in the end. For that reason, I think that it's worthwhile for us to think about some things that uh, James has to say. So James' emphasis in this uh, passage, which becomes really the heart and the key of the whole book of James, is that while faith is invisible and you cannot see it with the eye, in order for it to be practical and worthwhile, it must be made visible. That's what he's saying. It's one thing to talk about faith. But James says faith the kind that is profitable has to be manifest so it can be seen, become visible. Show it to them. You see, since Christianity and faith is something that's inward, has to do with the mind and the heart of man, there's no way that we can realize or have evidence of that faith until it becomes visible in something we can see, in something that others can see. And until it becomes visible, then James said, that's a faith that you talk about. That's not the faith that profits. That's not the kind of faith that profits nor saves. And so 
when you stop to think about this, it gets down real close to where we live. When James said, show me your faith without your work, I'll show you my faith by my work. In other words, James said, talk about faith all you want to, but till it becomes visible, you can't tell me anything. You don't have any proof of it. And in order that you may know that I have faith, I'm going to let it become visible so you can see it. And you'll know that mine, not just a matter of talk, is something that's real. In the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus, in condemning the Pharisees concerning their religion, which was lacking in that inward faith, mentions about how that Everything on the outside was looked after and cleansed. But he said, inward. And on the inside, there's corruption. And he used the illustration. A tomb. A grave. And he said, you have a grave out here. And he said, you see after it and you paint it over white. So nobody will touch it and become ceremonially unclean. But he said, on the inside of that grave, you know that's correct. And he said, that grave is symbolic and typical of what you're like. He said, you go through ceremonies, and you clean up the outside, but he said, the inside of you is just like that corruption that's in that grave. And this is the very heart of what James is talking about. And so the real thrust of what James is saying is that faith, unless it's used, is worthless. It won't save. For me to say that I have faith and then lay it up on the shelf and not use it is to misunderstand the very nature and the place and the value and the purpose of faith in my life. And it's around this theme that the book of James is developed. And with that in mind, I want to look at some things in the book and show you that this is the case. Let's go back to the first chapter. In verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith working so, faith is to be used in the trials of life. That's what's for. That's one of the things it does. Whenever we lay our faith on the shelf when we're facing the trials of life, then we have a faith that is without profit. It doesn't do us any good. And you note in that very verse, James says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh. Isn't that exactly what he says in chapter 2? That faith without works, not even good. Well, this verse is talking about the same thing, except in a particular situation. I think the tragedy that has happened, when we have read the book of James, in particular chapter 2, we thought, that the faith that works there proves or disproves the nominational idea that uh, faith has to demonstrate itself in baptism. That proves. 
But we have concluded that that's about all that has reference to. James is writing to people that's been baptized. He's not writing to people that's not baptized. He's writing to Christians. And it's to Christians that he calls attention to the danger of, a la- of allowing their faith not to be used in laying on the shaft. Now watch. Whenever faith is used in pride, it produces faith. That's what the passage says. Perhaps one of the reasons that we may not have developed the attitude and the ability to be patient is because we haven't used our faith as we've been confronted with the trials of life. Whenever a man uses his faith in the trials of life, he'll come to understand something about the importance of patience. One of the things that you'll learn when you face trials and difficulties is that you'll not be as critical of other people. It's easy for us many times to be uh, hard on people who may be going through some circumstance in life and we haven't been through it. And the temptation may be on our part to say, well, I tell you right now, I wouldn't do that. But I haven't been through that. I haven't been in those shoes. And if I haven't been in those shoes yet, how do I know I would do that? I might not even do as well as they're doing. But when one has walked through pride and his faith in God has been the means of pulling him through, one of the things that will come out of that and be a product of that trial that's made in faith is patience. And we'll be understanding toward other people. And so James would have us to know that if faith is to do us any good, we must use it in the trials of life. And in using it in the trials of life, it will bring about patience in our life. And he said, let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and tired, wanting in nothing. And thus the trials of life and faith working as we face these trials of life produce a patience in our life and a balanced and well-rounded life. Without that, our lives will be lopsided. And it's only as we exercise faith in the trials of life that we can learn to appreciate patience. You know, the Bible talks about the patience of faith. The Bible talks about the patience of Job. And we read about Job and his patience and all that he went through with without ever stopping to ponder that it was Job's faith that led him and sustained him through the trial. And out of that faith produced the patience. You'll read the book of Job. You'll find that as the trials come his way in life, he loses all of his material goods. He loses his children. 
finally loses health. His wife turns to him and says, curse God and die. Don't you know it's not worthwhile to serve God when all that you get out of it is this? Job said, you're a foolish woman. And the evidence of Job's faith is in this statement. When Job said, though he slay, yet will I trust him. That's faith in the strongest degree. Through all the trials that Job struggled with, that was that faith. That sustained him. And he had all kind of difficulties with his friends when they'd come and try to say, now, Job, you're just a sinner. You've not been living right. You'd been living right. All of this wouldn't have been taking place. And they offered all kinds of solutions to the problem. Finally, when you come over to the chapter 42, I believe it is, the Bible says that then Job prayed for his friends. Now, you can't appreciate that until you look at the book of Job. And you realize that Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And every trial there's that faith, holding on to God. Here are these fellows, and can't you just visualize yourself in the situation? Suffering through all the tribes that, uh, that Job is going through with, have a friend to come up here and say, Now, Job, you need to straighten up. You need to straighten up. You're not living right. You wouldn't be suffering all this if you're living right. Can't you just... Visualize how that would affect you and tear at your very heart and wonder, how in the world can a fellow talk to me like that when I'm going through all that I'm going through? Then, with that faith, following them on through the trials of life, and out of that develops a patience and then see Job get on his knees and pray for his friends. There's patience. And then, as James said, let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and tired, only in nothing. That's faith working. That's faith developing character, well-rounded, patience. That's what we all need. Whenever I face the trials of life, if I lay my faith upon the shelf and don't use it, it won't produce that in me. Do I have a problem of being impatient, lacking in understanding? Maybe right here is a key that can help us. That's the need the trials and the struggles of life to let faith work. Put it to work, as James said. Out of that developed patience. That will enable me to be understanding how important that is for all of us. You see, it's easy to read James 2 and never associate with that. But it's tied directly to that. But not only does James point out that we're to use our faith in trials, he also points out that we're to use our faith in Christ. For in verse uh, 5 and 6, he said, If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberty, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. 
For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And so, all of us need to learn that when we go aside, whatever may be the occasion, and we open up our hearts to God, it must be an expression of our faith in God. Or it's not any good. To pray and to lay our faith upon the shelf and just repeat things is not to pray so that God hears. You know, in the model prayer, Jesus warned about, uh, warned his disciples about the Pharisees. He said that they'd go down on the street corners and he said they'd stand there and pray. Jesus said it's of no avail. Because while they stood there and prayed, they laid their faith upon the shelf. It was not about faith. In so doing, Jesus said they have their reward. The men that see them out there will say, look how pious they are. That's the end of it. That's all they'll ever get from But When you think about our needy lives, how much we need to come from the resources that God has in his grace for us. And to realize that when I lay my faith on the shelf and then just utter some words, I'm not going to get anything. We ought to think about what James said. That when I am conscious of the riches of God's grace, the promises that he's made in his word and the promise that he'll hear my prayer and answer there. To go to God in faith, asking in harmony with his will, that God will hear that kind of prayer. And let it not be just a matter of words. You know, when the children of Israel passed over into the land of Canaan, then following the death of Joshua in the period of Judges, they found themselves when they had turned aside from God and unfaithful to his will and in difficult times, overrun by others. The Bible says they cried unto God and underscore the word cry. The very lesson we're talking about this morning about the nation of Israel in Egyptian bond. They cried unto God. There's earnestness. Thinking about the promise that God had made to Abraham in his statement, you won't stay in this land. There comes up the earnest cry to God. Out of that earnest cry, God's ear is open. As we'll study Wednesday night when we come back to think about some of these things, God said, I have seen and I've heard and I've come down. There's the prayer of an earnest faith. Not just words to be said. 
There may have been the time in their prosperity when they forgot about God. Before they went into the furnace of affliction. Before Pharaoh began to make slaves out of them. And under all of that bondage and with the background of the promise that God made, they began to cry out to God. God said to Moses, I've heard what they've had to say. I've seen their affliction and I've come down. Wednesday night we'll talk some more about the significance of that statement, I've come down. But there's the point. Ever I get on my knees, is it because that the Bible teaches me that as a Christian I must pray? Or whenever I get on my knees, do I bow in faith unto God in the realization that he has promised to hear the prayer of faith as set forth here? But if I'm going to go to God in prayer, I must not wait. My faith must be one that rests upon his word. I believe that God will do what he's told me that he would do. And so, faith then must be used in prayer. It must be used in prayer. But again, faith does not show partiality. In chapter 2, verse 1, James says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of person. Faith does not show respect of person. Whenever I am guilty of showing respect of persons, I, I have just laid my faith upon the shed. I'm not using my faith when I do that. That's a reason for it. Because faith has to do with the inside of a man. Not the outside. Faith has to do with a man's heart. It has to do with his spirit. It has to do with his soul. And in that, we all stand on common ground before God. Romans 3 and 23 said we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And since all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, my heart, like that of everyone else, is impure unless it's made clean through the gospel that God has given. And the gospel that God has given purifies the heart by faith. Acts 15 verses 8 and 9. That being true, doesn't matter how much difference there may have been as far as my social standing and my opportunities in life are concerned. The humblest man that there may be in this world stood on the same plane and the same level that I did before God. Simple. The only answer to my need and his is the gospel of redemption. And the same door is open to me as it is to him. Whenever I look at someone, I make distinction. The only way I can do that is to lay my faith on the shelf. James said, 
When you put your faith on your on the shed, it doesn't profit anything. You know that gets real close to where we live. Because one of the real problems of humanity from the time that man sinned on down to our day is the danger of measuring people by outward appearance. And over and over in the Bible, the Bible emphasizes that God looks not on the outward appearance, but on the heart. And because God looks on the heart, we all stand on the same level. The only thing that makes a difference is faith. And that obedience of faith that places us in a relationship with God, that's the only thing that God recognizes. Whenever I allow myself to make distinctions, to show respect to the person, the only way I can do it is to take my faith and just lay it over on the side over here and on the chair. Not you. And that's what James said. We are in danger of doing that very thing. Every man is made in the likeness and the image of God. Genesis 1. And because every man is made in the likeness and the image of God, every man has the same potential, the same need. And our God that has given unto us the revelation, the unfolding of redemption intended for all alike. Well, we fail to see that. Recognize it and practice that. Turn to the second chapter of the book of Galatians. We read that when some came down from Jerusalem, Paul says that Peter got carried away. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. But Paul said, I rebuked him to the faith because he walked not uprightly according to truth. Peter laid his faith on the shed. Whenever some came down from Jerusalem and by the pressure that was applied, though he'd already learned the lesson in Acts 10, Evelyn was following what took place in Acts 15. He got under pressure. He said, I'm not going to eat for the Gentiles. Why, Peter? Is it because that you're better than they are? Is that the reason? Is it because you are superior and above them? Let Paul answer the question. Paul's answer is, Peter, what you did, you laid your faith over, over on the shelf when you did that. You just put your faith aside. I had to take, I had to rebuke you that. Because you walk not upright according to truth. We studied in Genesis 20 about Abraham and Abimelech. And as a result of Abraham uh, looking on the outside instead of on the inside, he told Sarah, Abimelech's a man you can't deal with. He's dangerous. You better watch him. Let's don't be fire and square with him. Tell him, you, tell him that you're not my wife. And when Abimelech called Abraham to account for and said, Abraham, why did you deal with me this way? Verse 11 of Genesis 20 Abraham said, I thought the fear of God was not in this place. What are you looking at, Abraham? Outside. What did you know about the heart of Abimelech? He didn't know it. 
and result of looking on the outside and not seeing the heart made a grave blunt. Even went so far as to be guilty of telling a falsehood. That's real. As serious as well. We need to think seriously about it. All of us, including me, are in danger of thinking about people from outward circumstances. But just as surely as I measure somebody by outward circumstances and situations rather than the heart, I need to put it down. What I've done is to lay my faith over on the shelf. James says, when you put your faith on the shelf, when there is not the visible evidence of it, what does it cost? Is it going to save? I don't know about you. I think I do. I hope I do. I think I know about my own heart and my own soul. There's only one thing that I want faith to do. I want it to get me through this world and get me to heaven when life is over. And in order for it to do that, it must be the faith that James is talking about. The faith that is described here. I need to be sure that I am able to evaluate and identify the faith that James is talking about. Because aside from that, it's not going to help. Well, I wanted to talk about some other things this morning, but time will not allow for it. But I want to pick up the same story tonight in the book of James, and when you go home, I hope you'll read the book. And then look further in the book of James at some things he says about faith and what faith will do whenever it's used and whenever it's applied and the danger of our failing to use our faith. James has been called the book of practical advice and the book of common sense. James deals with everyday practical religion. He deals with faith and relationship to where we live every day. You can see from what I've said so far that that's exactly what he's doing. Every point that I made this morning is where we live every day. James says, our faith must be made visible. It must be manifest. We must show it. And if it cannot be seen, it's because we've laid it over on the shelf. Not being used. The result is, it doesn't cost. And it will not save. Are you in the audience this morning? Not a Christian? You say, oh, I believe God. I believe that Christ is the Son of God. Have you ever shown that? not any good that you do. It'll have to be manifest. And until you can show it, it will not profit, it will not save. How can you establish? Well, the Bible teaches that one in believing that Christ is the Son of God shows it by repentance and giving up the world, turning a loose sin, 
and changing his attitude and his values in life. And until one's done that, he has not the faith that James is talking talk about the faith. And when one has that faith, he'll do like the unity. Confess openly and outwardly the faith that's in his heart. That's exactly what Romans 10 says. With the heart man believeth unto right, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. How can one know what's in the heart? One of the ways is through the mouth when he confesses what's in his heart. Did you've done that. That faith is just like what James talked about. He won't profit and won't save. And until one's baptized, he hasn't shown his faith. He, he has not shown that he believes that he must obey the Lord. And that the Lord can save and that the Lord will save when he said he would. Therefore, the demonstration of it, the visual evidence of it. This morning, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, it doesn't matter how much you may say that you have faith. James says it's without profit that he will not say. You're in the audience this morning. You have faith. You want to be saved and short. Manifest. So it can be seen. When it becomes visible, then it will bring the blessing. The invitation is yours. Why together we stand and say.